0: Pause your word counts, and enjoy.
1: Friends, we are so excited for this episode. As part of our new MSW Live series, we've asked you to vote for your genre or age group and created a panel for the genre with the most votes. In this case, that's science fiction, fantasy, speculative, and supernatural. But you know what? Even if you're writing in a completely other genre, this is still going to be a really fun episode for you because this is all about how agents think within a genre and what this can teach you about how they approach their inboxes. This panel was recorded in front of our Manuscript Academy members, and you can view the video replay. Just check the show notes for the link. If you'd like to vote for your genre, head to manuscriptacademy.com mswl hyphen live. And yeah, you can ask your friends to vote too. On with the show. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy that you're here. You're all joining from all of these wonderful places. And as always, it's an honor to, to see our amazing writer community show up. So thank you so much. I'm Jessica Sinsheimer, agent at Context Literary Agency, co-founder of MSWL, manuscriptwishlist.com, and the Manuscript Academy. We exist to bring conference resources and connections to you
0: wherever you may be. And today is a very special day. I know. I love that we have this focus. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding with excitement. You guys, I'm Julie Kingsley. I am a longtime writing teacher, a writer, and co-founder of the Manuscript Academy. Thank you for being here this
1: afternoon. Yes. So we are so excited to welcome you Mm -hmm. to our second ever MSWL Live. Thank you so so much to those of you who voted for science fiction, fantasy, supernatural, and speculative. Today is all about finding what agents want within genres so you can better understand their tastes.
0: (laughs) So we have one basic rule here at the Manscript Academy, and that's just to keep things as positive and supportive as possible for you and your fellow writers. Yeah. You know how hard this is. Support your (laughs) fellow writer. Um, Without further ado, I
1: would like to invite our agents to come on down to the stage and briefly introduce what we will be doing today. We're so happy to have such wonderful folks joining us today. I am honored that they said yes. Um, Everyone works in these genres, and we're just so excited to hear more about what you're seeing, uh, trends in the industry, and tips for everyone going forward. So why don't we go around and say who you are, where you you work, and what you'll be doing today. Caitlin, why don't you go first? Sure. I'm Caitlin McDonald. I work at Donald Moss Literary Agency,
2: uh, and today I have a brief uh, trivia game for you. Yay! With prizes,
3: <laughs> Samantha. Why don't you go next? Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Samantha Exte, and I'm an agent at Thompson Literary Agency. Uh, and I will be doing a query critique today. Yay!
1: All right, Tao. What are you up to today? Hi, everyone. My name is Tao. I am an
4: agent at the Standard Literary, Literary Agency, and today I'll be sharing an example of one of my own books that matches one of my MSWI. Yay!
1: Mm-hmm. I can't wait. And last but certainly not least, Taj. What will you be bringing for us today? And I can't wait to show everyone your slides are so beautiful. <laughs>
5: <laughs> they are! <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Taj McCoy, she, her, and I am with the Reese Literary Agency. Today, we'll be having a craft talk on distinguishing dialogue. Mm. Yay. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait.
1: Yeah. So we will raise a few questions. And panel, please feel free to unmute and jump in whenever you have answers. Oh, my goodness. With with 11 upvotes, are there hints or advice you can give to those that would be especially useful in querying a trilogy, a single story spanning three novels? I love that all of you are so interested in this and stressed out about it. Um, but panel what, what what do you have to say about any of this?
4: I mean I would say I wouldn't stress at all like I have to say a majority of my fantasy queries are the beginning of trilogies and my advice would just be um, have a satisfying not conclusive but a satisfying conclusion to your first book in case you know for whatever reason a trilogy doesn't sell but the first book sells and otherwise I would just say plainly in the query letter this is the first book in a planned trilogy.
2: Yeah if it has the option of being a standalone with series potential. You can certainly say that. That sometimes helps. But, you know, if it's definitively the first in a trilogy, then just say that. That's
3: absolutely fine. Yeah. In in sci-fi and fantasy, trilogies are, like, really normal. And so they're expected, and it's okay to pitch your project as the first in a trilogy. Uh, when it starts to get, like, you know, four, five, six, seven books in a series, then it becomes harder because we have to think more long-term about, you know, how are we going to sell seven books um, when, you know, a publisher or might just want one. But typically, you know, you can sell a trilogy or duology and that's no problem.
5: And don't be afraid for it to be shorter than that. You know, a duology is okay. If you feel like you have enough material for more than one and, and two is enough for you, that's perfectly fine. You don't have to hit that three number. It's not a magic number per se. Um, it's really just about making sure that your story and, and it ultimately comes to a satisfying end. Oh,
1: I love that. Um, how if anything has fantasy and science fiction changed over the course of the last few years whether this be what editors are seeking or trends you may believe are becoming more popular I know that's a tough question
3: (laughs) I have noticed that there's been a big rise in mythology-based and world culture-based fantasy um and not necessarily like fantasy rooted in like medieval europe like, and i talk about this i'll talk about this more later um but fantasy rooted in like you know medieval europe in the style of like lord of the rings and game of thrones like we're getting i think away from that and and exploring underrepresented cultures um which has been so so cool to see um and i hope that that continues to be on the rise
2: i feel like for me i feel like i've been seeing more sort of um willingness to take on crossover material from publishers which i really appreciate. Um, Because it's something I I personally really love um, in terms of like crossover with genres as well as somewhat to some degree crossover between adult and YA, especially horror um, has been a big one for doing horror crossed with um, like sci fi and fantasies has been doing really well. I do feel that like um, the kind of epic fantasy has been a little bit less at the moment. And we're definitely looking kind of more, publishers are looking more at um, lower fantasy, it feels like, um, things that feel a little bit more accessible. But there's always, always space for high fantasy in the market. Like it's not something that ever disappears. So
4: yeah, I was just gonna riff off of Caitlin and say like I've been seeing a trend of romantic, so like romantic leaning mm-hmm. fantasy or of- fantasy combining the romantic genre with the fantasy genre and I personally really love it I think it's just you know uh, when we're living in a world where everything is kind of tumultuous and uh, uncertain I think people really want to escape and like fantasy is an escape and romance is an escape so putting them together is like the ultimate escape right
5: yeah I literally just had a call yesterday with an imprint and romanticy was high on the list of things that they were looking for so definitely look for those cross-genre stories. I love that. Hashtag romanticism.
0: I was thinking the same thing. I was like, I've never heard that, but it works for me. It's very clear. I love
1: it. I hope to see lots of that across social media and all of you writing those too. What are things in query letters that make you excited? I would say, honestly, like specificity and detail. Like it's not so
2: much any one particular thing, but Too often I'll see kind of generalizations and kind of like trying to be coy or trying to save space by kind of saying like, and then, you know, through a series of events or she must discover the secret behind like that's that could apply to so many different, you know, to novels and queries that come across my inbox, just the more specific and the more detailed that you can be. That's what sets your story apart, and so that's what gets my interest in a query letter.
3: I 100% agree. Um, I'm always writing be specific on my critiques. Um, I also, you know, there are two things that I think that get me excited about query. The first is a strong hook. Like, if your query has a really unique premise that like is easy to describe and understand right away, then for me, that's like, whoa! I'm blown away. And then also like just a really well put together letter um, gets me interested. I know it's so hard to write a query, but like one that has clear character goals, clear obstacles, clear stakes for me, I'm like, okay, this person knows how to tell their story, they know how to talk about their story, and they know how to write well. Um, And so right away, I get excited from the query if you're doing all those things.
4: I agree with them both. Um, I think specificity is always the most important thing because the more vague you are, the more general and generic uh, a query can sound like. And like honestly, my favorite queries are the one where I can read like a sentence or two and get an idea of what the pattern Hook is, and I immediately want to jump to the pages to read it. So if you can you know kind of figure out that one line uh, description about your book? That's probably the the best sentence out of the entire query.
5: I fully agree with with everyone. Really, I think the the hardest ones are where, you know, folks are are so worried about having these cliffhangers and moments. And, and, you know, obviously, if we're asking for the synopsis too, we're going to see what those are anyway. You don't have to worry about hiding it from us because it's about how the story is told rather than what the, the hidden pieces are. Um, and so really just having that well-crafted, detailed pitch is, is what we're looking for.
1: I love that. Uh, it seems more genre-bending sci-fi fantasies are coming. coming. Coming out now. What genre bending sci-fi fantasies are you are you interested in? And also what genre bending sci-fi fantasies do you want to see more of?
3: I talk about I'll talk about this more later, but I would love to see like a rom com set in the apocalypse or like a or post-apocalyptic rom com. Just something like really unexpected and sort of like escapist, but also like, you know, just like a tonal mishmash, I think would be really fun. I'm seeing a lot of science fantasy, which I'm into. I'm actually out on submission right now with like a Mexican mythology science fantasy with like robotic gods which is like it sounds so wild but it's actually like amazing And yeah, I guess that's, that's where I'm at. Like anything that you can mash with romance or, or mash two genres together, I think is working really well right now.
2: Yeah. um, A lot of the same for me, anything with romance, um, anything like the science fantasy is also something I'm, I'm really looking for. I have, you know, one that I'm really excited about coming out in almost in less than two months, um, which is really exciting. And I think like stuff that mashes the um, having a little bit more of his historical that is unusual historical periods not the usual kind of medieval stuff but like the roaring 20s mashed with another genre would be really fun like just kind of you know even something more contemporary like the 60s or the 80s or just something that we don't see very often combined with sci-fi or fantasy or just kind of like mashing up the vibes a little bit more I think is something that would be really really fun to see more of.
4: Yeah I agree I think you know like you've said before romantic or I think romantic with fantasy and sci-fi is really popular right now and I also you know this might be more personal but I'm a huge fan of like puzzles of murder mysteries of heists so those things combined with either a fantasy or sci-fi kind of setting is really exciting to me.
5: Man, Tao like literally took the words out of my mouth. I was thinking the same thing. Um, I'm really, really into mysteries and thrillers right now. And so any way that that can play into sci-fi or fantasy, but also to bring in a romantic element, you've got me right there.
1: It makes me so happy thinking about all of these projects that hopefully you will have and we can say, ah, she she said it back then that she wanted this book and here we have it. Happy ending. We oh love when gosh. things work out for everybody. If any of you have good news, by the way, send us an email. We love being happy for you when you get agents. It's yeah.
0: so nice. And I was just like <laughs> to point out just before we move on that like sometimes even a conversation like this, if you're not getting picked up with what you have, sometimes it's these time, once again, tiny little pivots where, see say, say, I mean, the settings changing is kind of huge, but like, it could change everything. So those what if questions could be so important to a writer.
1: Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. Um. So let's get into our main program. Caitlin, come on down. Caitlin, I can't wait to hear what you are looking for in your inbox and everything else like that. So tell us more about you.
2: I'm Caitlin McDonald at Donald Moss Literary Agency. Yes. Yeah, so as mentioned, like a lot of crossover material is stuff that I'm extremely excited about. It's sort of Uh, what intrigues me most is mashing up genres and just kind of ways that you can create the unexpected by like blending um either you know structures or tropes or settings together to create something new and exciting. uh, Mashing up you know things that are kind of expected from two different places and creating something that's new and fresh. So kind of like anything in the in that kind of crossing over space, be it you know sci-fi and fantasy or with romance or with horror. Thank <laughs> you with historical, uh with thriller. Like I have, you know, books on my list that I've published that kind of fill all of those different kind of scopes and I'm always looking for more like that. Uh, I particularly love heists, um, I and mysteries is like forgot to include that on my own, but like yes, that's huge for me as well. Um, I love found families, you know, anything diverse. Uh, a, the huge portion of my list is is clear as so that's something that's very important to me personally Um, although by no means a requirement, of course. And just kind of like anything that feels new and fresh, um, I particularly resonate with stories that kind of feel like they're saying something important that like have themes about whether they're kind of like bigger like political or conceptual themes or if they're more sort of like character focused kind of about family and autonomy and things like that. Like, I I really strongly resonate and work a lot with, like, what is this book saying? What are you you doing here? How can we bring that forward more? But I also, like, by no means should that mean, like, oh, only big, serious books. Like, I love fun, lighthearted books as well, some of which do those things and some of which just, like just want to have fun. And that is also perfectly awesome. Um, and I would love to get some more of that kind of thing on my list too.
1: All of that sounds amazing. And I'm so happy to think about all of those books existing in the world. So thank you. Yeah. Can we ask you a question from the pile before we go? Sure. Of course. Okay. Let's see. What's the main difference, if any, you've noticed between YA and adult fantasy recently? Recently in terms of trends? I guess you won't be able to answer this, but I would say, I mean, in terms of what would
2: be what I'm like determining as kind of the differentiation between them. um, I mean, the main thing is certainly the age of the protagonist and a kind of not necessarily fully definable voice. Um, but the, the third thing is really a question of like is there a theme of finding one's place in the world or figuring out who you are it's sort of to some degree, a coming of age question, um, but I feel like that's a little bit of a reductive way of describing it. And certainly that can be a theme as well in adult fiction as well. In terms of like different trends, the different trends that I'm seeing, I mean, YA I feel is definitely much more heavily driven by trends. Um, adult fantasy has more sort of staying power with the classics. There's always going to be more space for, you know, your high fantasy and your space operas um, and your military science fiction and a lot of kind of staples of the the genre, whereas YA is a little more kind of heavily trend driven, which at the moment definitely is more focused on that sort of contemporary low fantasy um, and contemporary science fiction, a little bit less. Less, you know medieval times fantasy and a little bit less super far future space operates it's closer to home in both
1: spaces at the
0: moment yay thank you so much Kaylin. <laughs> thank
1: you i'm always glad to be here all right have a good rest of your day Thanks. and next Bye, up everyone. is samantha Wexstein. come on down samantha <laughs> <laughs>
3: all right hi everyone um it's so great to be here uh i'm samantha Wexstein from Thomson literary agency and i'm super excited to go more into my tastes with sci-fi fantasy so uh, I'll start off with fantasy. My tastes are pretty broad in fantasy. Um, my favorite type of story is romantic second world. We we're talking about romanticy before. Um, please make me swoon. I love epic and high fantasy. Uh, so send me like your Sergei Amas, your Holly Black, your Leigh Bardugo's. I love intricate court politics like Crown court. Crown Duel, Court Duel by Sherwood Smith um, and the plotting and intrigue like in The Winner's Curse or in um, The Chronicles of Lumetier by Melina Marquetta. I'd love to find historical fantasy or fantasy rooted in world mythologies, which I also talked about before. um, But I'm looking for underrepresented voices in that vein. Um, So please don't send me stories inspired by medieval Europe um, or like Arthurian retellings unless you know the main character is is you know in the world of Arthur from an underrepresented perspective like you know i don't know a queer Arthur retelling Um, and I'm not uh, I'm not thrilled by Irish mythology either at this point I feel like I see so 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 much um, mythology coming out of Ireland um, and I love to just explore new world cultures and histories outside of Europe altogether caveat again being if they're underrepresented and specifically I'd love to find um, a Jewish fantasy uh, like Naomi Novik's spinning silver Um, so if if it's an European inspired please make it Jewish my number one wish list item right now is a diverse magical school book. Uh, I read In Other Lands by Sarah Rees Brennan like five or six times since the start of the pandemic because it just gave me. All the feelings, um, I also really loved like the Ninth House and Hellbent books and the Scholomance series. Um, and so I'd love to find like a BIPOC or queer uh, or both uh, magical school book. And I love fantasy as an exploration of social justice or feminism. Um, I love exploring family dynamics. I love ride or die deep friendships like Avatar The Last Airbender and also redemption arcs uh, like zero in Avatar The Last Airbender and I'd love to find a cozy fantasy like house in the Cerulean Sea and overall I just am really looking for well-developed relationships and friendships lots of slow burns and yearning well thought out magic systems I'm actually like really pedantic about the logic of of magic Uh, I know some people are like it doesn't matter it's magic but I actually really care about the rules and I am not the best fit for paranormal um, unless it's witches or like just just a super super new take on vampires um but yeah i probably am not the best fit for like a paranormal detective um and i will auto reject any angel and devil stories from biblical mythology in terms of sci-fi my teeth are a little bit harder to pin down I like sci-fi that's grounded in the human experience and world building that's logical, but not too technical. I'm looking, again, for, you know, female, non-binary, queer, BIPOC-led stories. um, And I still love and prefer romantic subplots in sci-fi as well. I'd love to see some near future premises, uh, genre blending. I talked about this before, like a rom-com at the end of the world or during the apocalypse I'd love for just one aspect of the world to be sci-fi and everything else is, is similar to ours. On the opposite end, I'm open to epic storytelling, but if it's like a space opera, I need to see something new. I love The Expanse and Star Wars, but like space pirates, bandits, thieves, scavengers, etc., I feel like has been really well trod. The space Western has been really well trod. Um, so I need to see something fresh. Uh, and if it's such a big story, I need it to be balanced with, really specific human storylines. And uh, examples are of things that I would love are The Last of Us, The Darkest Minds, Blood Red Road, Iron Widow, Black Panther, I would love Afrofuturism, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, because it's a comedy too, another genre blend, um, The Hundred, The Society, Back to the Future, She-Ra, uh, Princesses of Power, and obviously Star Wars. I am not interested in alien main characters, plots where the main focus is aliens, uh, technology that edits dreams or memories, uh, anything militaristic, anything with a cop or detective main character character, anything that focuses too much on evil corporations, and anything with virtual reality or video games. Uh, Lastly, I find it very hard to care about robot main characters. So yeah, that's that's my specific tastes. So I have a query here. Let me share this with all of you. I randomly selected this from a huge list of of queries. Uh, All right, so. Today's query uh, is a YA fantasy uh, and we'll just dive right in and then I'll give you my thoughts. Dear Samantha Wexteen, I know you're interested in creative and epic fantasies in the vein of Sarah J Maas or Leigh Bardugo and I wanted to offer my novel for your consideration. A Kingdom Eclipsed by Moonlight is a 75,000 word young adult fantasy, a standalone of series potential it's a tale of love, power, and destiny, and will appeal to fans of A Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Maas and The Folk of the Air series by Holly Black. Atlas is the chosen of Lyceria, the goddess of the moon, who seizes the throne of Ragon from a weak king determined to restore his kingdom to its former glory. But when he, hears, when he hears reports of an attack on the neighboring city of Bighorn, Atlas challenges the kingdom of Mycia, whose king answers with war. As the war between Mycenae and Ragon escalates, Amaya, the princess of Mycenae, wishes for nothing more than to escape her oppressive life and the political marriage her father has planned for her. With the help of the gods, Atlas defeats the Mycenae army, but while his people celebrate, he worries about the state of his humanity. Bearing the responsibility of Chosen makes Atlas feel more isolated, but he is determined to connect with Amaya, who he takes as his wife. As they face a new challenge with the gods intervening once again, the pair learns that the gods have been pulling the strings and orchestrating the war for a greater purpose. As the final battle rages on, Amaya discovers a hidden power within herself that could change the course of the war. With her newfound abilities and Atlas's godly powers, they fight together to defeat the forces that threaten to destroy their kingdoms. Author is a writer, blogger, and social media manager in New Jersey. She recently graduated from Montclair University with her MBA and concentration in digital marketing and has a BA in English literature. When she's not busy creating captivating content, she can be found at the gym trying new juicing recipes and binge watching anime. Visit her blog where she shares her insights on social media, marketing, publishing and other topics. I appreciate your consideration and I'm excited to hear from you. Sincerely, author. All right. Um, So I took a look at this uh, ahead of time, and I took some notes. This is like sounds like a really, really fun and complex story with a lot of world building and a lot of mythology. Um, So that's awesome. My first note is that I think that, you know, a standalone with series potential um, is good information to know, but I don't think it needs to be in an introduction paragraph. I think it should come after the plot summary. It's not really a selling point. And I think you wanna use that intro space to really sell us on your project. jumping into the plot summary, I want to know right away what it means to be chosen, um, because that seems like a really important plot point. Atlas is chosen by this god. Uh, What does that mean? Why is that a burden for him later on? So I wanted that information up front. Then uh, I was a little bit confused in this sentence because... Uh, We have Atlas and we have Lyceria, the goddess of the moon, who seizes the throne of Ragon. so I wasn't sure if Lyceria was seizing the throne or if it was Atlas, Um, so I just wanted that to be clear. And, you know, again, in the next sentence, but when, the, when he hears reports of an attack, I wasn't sure if that was when the king hears reports of attack or when Atlas hears reports of an attack. So I just wanted that to be super clear. Then uh, Atlas challenges the kingdom of Mycia. I wasn't sure what that meant or why he was challenging Mycia specifically. And then... We get, uh, we get into the responsibility of the chosen again um, so I wanted to again learn a little bit more about why this is a burden for Atlas and he takes Amaya as his wife and I wanted to know why he makes that choice, you know, what about Amaya uh, you know, is this sort of like a peace treaty or do they fall in love what's their relationship like and then I thought that uh, as they face a new challenge with the gods intervening once again was a little too vague, I I want to know you know what kind of challenge they're facing specifically and like why the gods are intervening and how um and then you refer to a final battle is this with Mycia again or with another country with the gods i wasn't sure and so yeah i just wanted a little bit more clarity on uh on the world building and um and on the goals of these characters. Like, I think we need to go back to basics and focus. There's a lot of setup here. So focus less on like the setup and more on like, who is Atlas? What does it mean that he's chosen? What does he want? And what are his obstacles? What are his stakes? Um, and then, you know, do something similar for Amaya as well. What does Amaya want? What are her obstacles? I mean, we delve into that a little bit with like, you know, she doesn't want to just be a wife. Um, and She doesn't want to get married off, but she does get married off. So then, you know, what does she want for herself after that? How is she going to? overcome that obstacle. I thought the bio was perfect, except that I would put it in the first person um, because you're writing a letter directly to us um, instead of referring to yourself in the third person. And that is all my feedback.
1: Oh, Samantha, thank you so much for doing that. I love watching you go through these things and seeing how your brain works. That's so much fun. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I hope that was exciting for all of you in the audience to see an agent's eye view of a query. Um, let's just jump in with a couple of questions and a little bit of remaining time. Are certain subgenres of fantasy easier, or
3: harder to sell?
1: I've been told that middle grade portal fantasy is a tough sell. Is that true?
3: Honestly, I think everything is so hard to sell right now. Like I have, I have, personally been struggling to sell fantasy in general because I think it's just so crowded and I don't necessarily know that there's any like subgenre that people would say no to just because of the subgenre I think it's more just like is your story unique is it standing out or is this something we've done before so like if you're doing a portal fantasy like what's new about your portal that you know we've seen portals before why is yours different
1: How important is it to agents or publishers that an author have a social media following? I know book talk is a mega thing right now. And I was just wondering what everyone's thoughts were on the importance of social media in modern day writing and publishing. Thank you so much.
3: If you're a debut author, you do not need to have a social media following unless you're writing nonfiction, which is not this panel. We're all doing SFF. So you do not need to have a social media following. I will say that you should be searchable. So like if you have a website um, where you have your contact information. Um, You can get a free website from weekly um, and just, you know, throw up an author photo and a brief bio and your contact info. And that that really is enough if you're a debut.
1: I love that. Everyone gets so worried. They're like, but I don't have a million followers on Book Talk. I can't dance like TikTok. You don't have to dance on TikTok, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> everyone gets so worried about that. So I'm, I'm glad to have a reassuring answer for them. Um, Samantha, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to have you here.
3: And um, yeah, thanks for sharing your insights with everybody. Thank you so much. For having me. Um, And when I reopen Aquarius, I'm so excited to hear from all of you. (laughs) All
1: right. Thank Thank you so much for being here. All right. Next up, we have Tao. Tao, come on down. I can't wait to see your presentation and your beautiful slides.
4: <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Tao Lei, and uh, I'm excited to chat with you all. Let me share that. Video.
1: Oh, but first, what are you looking for within these genres and, oh. and what's most exciting to you?
4: I'm happy to talk about it. Like, I am looking for multiple things. Uh, sci-fi fantasy is one of my favorite genres to look at, and um, I'll probably elaborate more in, in my... Uh, slideshow so you guys can see what what I'm looking for awesome so I'm gonna talk about all my sci-fi fantasy manuscript wish list. and uh, one in particular that I wanted to feature was a book that I took on and it is You've Reached Sam by Dustin Tao. So this is at the very, very top of my manuscript wish list. And I'm very excited to have You've Reached Sam, but I'm always looking for more of these love stories with a twist of magic. Um, if you're unfamiliar with You've Reached Sam, the premise is there's this young couple who's madly in love with each other. And they have all these plans for the future and then suddenly in a twist of uh, tragedy, the boyfriend dies in an accident. And so it's a grief story about the girl who's. Left behind, and how he, she mourns her boyfriend. And in her grief, she tries to call his cell phone to listen to his voice on his voicemail one last time. But instead of getting the voicemail, his ghost answers. So they have this miraculous chance to uh, have a a, a second chance to say goodbye to one another. And really what I really love about this story and why it immediately grabbed me and is still, you know, a similar concept is on my end at the top of my MSWL is because I really love human stories that have a magical what if. So, you know, like a contemporary familiar setting and then, you know, some kind of twist of fate in like some kind of Magical or even sci fi way. Like, I've told people that one of my top MSMULs is basically black mirror, but more positive and less kind of, um, you know, anxiety inducing and fear mongering. As I said before, like, I think we're in a time period right now where real life feels very tumultuous, feels very uncertain and scary. And so to have that kind of familiar setting, but then this beautiful, magical, like, what-if moment, like, um, that can change our lives forever or change the way we look at life um, is something that I would really, really love to see. Um, In general, though, for all of my uh, manuscript wish lists for both sci-fi and fantasy, I'm always looking for atmospheric writing. I'm a big fan of books such as like Annihilation, you know, where there's a weird nature, um, there's like an oppressive kind of feeling at the same time. You know, I also like really character-driven, intimate, relationship-driven stories where it's really about us unpacking kind of the nature of being human and being human with one another. Um, set to some kind of crazy plot and it can be any kind of plot. I am a big fan of heists and puzzles like I said. I'm a fan of murder mysteries. I love it when it has that twist of fantasy or magic or sci-fi into it and I'm a big fan of just sprawling epic backdrop. In terms of world building, I do think it is secondary to character and relationship um, which is why I kind of put it as the third instead of the uh, above the character and relationship driven stories in my bullet points but I think There's really something about a fantasy or sci-fi where the setting feels almost like its own character and it really just grabs you and makes you want to know more about that world, more about the lore and the magic of that world. What I'm not the best fit for is probably military or hard science fiction I like having rules in magic and rules in sci fi fantasy, but I don't necessarily want to go into super technical details about it. A good example of what I do like is I tell everyone everything, everywhere, all at once. The movie has an amazing kind of crazy sci fi kind of premise, but the rules are actually quite simple. Like, even though it sounds kind of absurd and ridiculous, if you really just think about the rules of that movie, and I don't want to spoil it for everyone, but everyone should go watch it. It's actually quite simple. And you can kind of follow through very easily so i like that type of sci-fi fantasy rather than the hard sci-fi fantasy that tries to go into all the technical details and similar with like military or like police type of sci-fi that's probably not the best for me i'm also a big fan of horror but i'm not a fan of gore so you know again psychological like intimate stories i really like you know movies like the bomber where it's really about you know a failing relationship and like a big it's, a, it's basically a breakup story with horror in it i also like you know hereditary where where it kind of like going into the mind of like, grief again. I think grief is such a big theme for me. I'm also a huge huge fan of Tolkien. I love Born of the Rings, but I am not the best agent for reaching that style of epic fantasy. That said, if you guys have watched Rings of Power, I am very into this union right here. Uh, it's a bit of a spoiler, so I won't elaborate on it. But if you know, you know. I'm also a big fan of this vibe. If you guys know Princess Mononoke, this is one of the iconic where she basically says, I'll cut your throat, I'll show you up. And he's basically like, you're beautiful. <laughs> um, this is very much the type of uh, ship that I like. And uh, I think it's really well done in a lot of fantasy with um, romantic plots. Uh, in general, I am a very big romantic reader. I think that is probably my biggest NSWL is love stories with fantasy, love stories with sci-fi. I am also a big fanfic reader. So tropes and, you know, AUs are all my favorite things. This is like some of my evergreen romancey NSWL lists. Um, items, if, you know, enemies to lovers, faded mates or soulmate. I love forbidden love or star crossed love. Uh, I'm also a huge fan of prophecy and curses. And
1: that is uh, the end of my NSWO on what I'm looking for. It's such a beautiful presentation. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really love this. I think it's so nice to see specifically what people are looking for and to know what their tastes are. And that's just really, really helpful. Also, you have a lot of fans in the audience who are very. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: I'm a fangirl girl, honestly. So anytime I can talk about all my favorite ships and all of my favorite um movies, shows. That's the best part of doing this job, right?
0: we're just professional fangirls. Yeah, and I, I love how I mean I think this some some people are like they they don't understand that their book's really good. It's just not for that particular agent. And that's okay. You know, so the more you do these things, the more you do your research on the agent the better your chances are.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, we have a question about word count. Everyone gets so worried about oh. word count. Um, what about word count for YA high or epic fantasy? Is anything between 105 and 110,000 a hard sell for agents or would it still be a relatively mm-hmm. safe word count to have? Also, is there still a market for YA high fantasy? I noticed a lot of MS do be well saying agents want only low fantasy or grounded fantasy. Oh, that's so interesting.
4: Those are really great questions. So I'll t- tackle them one by one a little bit first so for the word count I always tell people for both YA and for fantasy that under a hundred thousand words or under is my ideal and the reason about this is I'll be very um pragmatic like if you're a debut author the thicker your book is to produce the more expensive it'll be and so when editors uh, do their p to kind of like try to figure out a price point for the book, if it's going to be hardcover or paperback how much that will cost them, the publisher to produce that, the numbers will obviously be less ideal for you if it's more expensive at aka super long to uh, create. So this is kind of why longer, especially debut books, longer books are much more difficult like, you know, like I don't like to bring up Harry Potter, but um, I think that's a good example of seeing how a book starts in the beginning of the series, starts it's kind of short and as it goes on, it gets longer and longer because the author has built up enough of a market that, you know, the publisher can look at a P&L and say like, oh, it doesn't matter if it costs this much to produce this like 400 page book because we know it will still sell. Um, But with a debut author, that's much more risky. So that's why I always say 100,000 words or under is kind of the sweet spot. And I would say that going too short is also kind of problematic, too, because when it's too short, consumers want to feel that they're buying something like, you know, if you're pricing a hardcover at, like, say, 20 bucks, that's actually really cheap right now. (laughs) But if a a hardcover is 20 bucks and you're getting only like this much book, then the consumer might feel unsatisfied by that. So, you know, publishers have tried to do kind of like, you know, uh, not an algorithm, but like from testing and trial um uh, they've seen that you know usually consumers want x amount of of like the story to match a particular price so what, uh, what is be, too
1: low yeah what
4: is too yeah, short what would be too short i think it so i think it depends in fantasy I would say like something like 50 or 60 is kind of sh- new for fantasy. I want to say for fantasy, yeah. the, the best spot for me is pie around 80 to 90K. Hmm. And then I think the other question is, is there still a market for YA pie fantasy? I've seen a lot of MSN, you're saying, they you just only really want no fantasy or grounded fantasy. I I do think there is room for high fantasy. I think it's just that in, so it's funny that we were just talking about TikTok right now um, because I think the rise of TikTok and other similar short pieces of media has made it so that people have very low attention spans. And I think the challenge with high fantasy versus grounded or low fantasy is that it takes a while to really get into, immersed into a brand new world. Whereas with low fantasy or grounded fantasy, there's a sense of familiarity. So the reader doesn't have to do quite that much time investment into figuring it out. Um, And I think because our attention spans are being competed for right now, that's probably why a lot of people want more low-friendly effect, so they can kind of hit the ground ready instead of having to wait for the world building to kind of be enough to, to get them immersed like, further along in the story.
1: If a book has two main characters, should the query letter include both main characters or focus on one?
4: Ooh, that's a good question. I would say if it is two equal POVs, um, then I would have a a paragraph each for them. So, you know, what what I really ideally like to see in dual POVs is how their stories intersect. So if you're introducing one character in one paragraph, you should end that paragraph in a way that it segues to the next paragraph. And you can see how this other character kind of comes into play and their stories are meshing together.
1: One last one that we always get. our prologues completely out of style? I'm summarizing this longer question here. Um, should I tweak it and sneakily make it chapter one or just cut it all together? That's a, such a good
4: question. And I feel like everyone always talks about like, oh, prologues are like that. Don't ever do it. Um, I'm actually of the camp that a good prologue is a good prologue. I think the problem is that a lot of people use prologue to kind of info them or, I don't know, like try to set up the story in a way that is not super... For immersive, right off the bat, and that's where the problem lies. I think if a prologue is able to create intrigue into the story, then it's a good prologue. If your prologue, whether or not your 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 first your opening pages is a prologue or a first chapter, if it's info dumping and like we're not getting connected to the characters immediately and everything, it doesn't matter if you call it chapter one or prologue. It would still not be it'll be problematic still, right? So I think instead of focusing on whether or not to relabel it, I think I would just look at like, what is my opening pages doing? How is it drawing in a reader immediately? And sometimes that's just about voice. Sometimes that's about having a hook immediately, you know, things like that, rather than, wondering if just not having a prologue is the the right way to go.
1: People get so stressed about prologues. We get the question a lot. But I'm glad you said that just calling it chapter one doesn't magically make it better, though I know that sometimes people will do that or they'll call their dystopia science fiction or speculative or, you know, sometimes the label can change things a little bit. That's true. I I think the thing about
4: that, Jess, is like, you know, we have certain expectations when we see certain labels, Right um mm-hmm. just because you brought up the dystopia thing i i do think that's true because like you know for a while when the dystopia was kind of like mm-hmm. over the trend was over calling it dystopia people kind of like would immediately glaze over it. but if you call it sci-fi maybe gives it another chance for yeah. people to keep reading mm-hmm. the theory
1: yeah you'll just get to page 15 and be like wait everything's going wrong yeah <laughs> <laughs> wait, it's an
4: apocalypse then right.
1: right society has <laughs> collapsed they are so familiar <laughs> but you got to page 50.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's going back to that. I think that if you have a prologue and you cut it off, what do you need to do to those first opening chapters that gives some of the tension that you kind of blew in that prologue? Because I think that, that people do that. They put the a bunch of tension and there's like all these stakes there and then you go to chapter one it's like la you know so cut it and then see how you can fix it and then if you put it back in later possibly but it's a good it's a good revision tool
1: yeah, yeah. oh awesome thank you so much thank I'm you. so happy that like when you said yes I was just thrilled so thank yeah. you so much for being here <laughs> and you, and you have your fans me. in the audience too Alright, next up we have Taj. Come on down, Taj. Show us your beautiful slides. Alright, yes. Yeah. Hi, hey, Hello. Hello.
5: Thank you, guys. It's so much fun to be here and listen to everybody and Thanks to everybody that's still hanging around and listening.
1: Yeah. So tell us about you and what you would love to have in your inbox in these genre Sure,
5: prints. sure. So um, I uh, actually, as, as everybody has mentioned, I'm a huge fan of romanticity huge fan of sci-fi romance. Um, I would say one of my favorites that I got to listen to on Audible was Alyssa Cole's The AI Who Loved Me. And so, um, if you, if you've listened to that, then you kind of have a sense of what I'm really into. I love things that have crossover potential when it comes to mystery, romantic suspense. I love portal fantasies. And so for the person that asked that question, I'm still looking. Um, When it comes to uh, the contemporary side, I I do love magical realism. I love it when it connects people. I love when it is something that is ancestral. Um, I love um, those stories where you're either saving the world from magic or saving magic from the world. I love and, and I'm seriously looking for stories For that, include marginalized main characters that have fresh spins on popular fairy tales. I'm looking for cultural infusions and intersectionality fantasies that have clear magic systems, um, like Tao and um, Samantha said. You know, like it, you know, I hate to be a stickler for rules, but it actually does make sense as you're reading the story. Um, I am also uh, looking for stories that have creative commentary when it comes to social issues um, and really thoughtful world-building In the middle grade and YA space, of course, I'm always looking for those uh, stories that have those themes of coming of age, identity, chosen family, Um, things that I'm definitely not looking for um, right now would be uh, stories that kind of center heaven and hell, uh, the angel and demon thing that others have mentioned as well. I have a ton of stuff that includes like Lucifer and Lucifer's kids in my uh, inbox right now. And it's just not for me. I'm not focused on European-based mythology either. and and no alien or robot main characters, no military, but things that I'm always, always looking for are stories that contain really strong character growth I love dynamic setting settings. I love witty discourse. I love twists and turns as long as they drive the story forward. Obviously, I'm a romance fan, so I want all the romance tropes I can have, but I love when they have really interesting sci-fi and fantasy takes um, and give me all of the longing and angst you possibly can. And so that would be <laughs> my manuscript wish list. Um, I do have some slides because today we are going to be talking about craft. We're talking about dialogue uh, when it comes to the stories that you all are writing. And so like getting down to it, you know, too often um, from what I'm seeing, there are characters in a manuscript um, that read exactly the same and they become indistinguishable, making the manuscript very hard um, to read and understand and follow. You know, the goal obviously is to create complex characters that can be recognized by what they say and how they say it. And so as you're turning the pages, you can start to create some expectations for those characters. And so if you're thinking about like a multi-character scene, you know, what makes your characters distinguishable? Their features, their personalities, the tone of their voice. Is it pitchy? Is it super high? Is it super low? Is it raspy? Does it rumble? Where are they from? Um, Do they have an accent? Is there slang that they would or wouldn't use? And what role does this character fill in the friend group? A lot of the answers to these questions will help readers to set expectations in terms of what it is that they might say, that these characters might say, the way that these characters might react, the decisions that these characters might make. And so in considering the background and personality of the character, it's not just the what, but the how, how they say it, the accent. Are they drama drama prone? Are they consistently deadpan? What is their timing like? Do they constantly tell jokes that never land? Um, do they use contractions? Are they tripping over their own words all the time? Do they constantly use the wrong words and colloquialisms? Do they have certain tics or quirks or traits about them that inflect in the way that they speak? And so thinking in terms of world building, which I know is important to you all, how do the citizens of your worlds collide? Does everyone communicate in the same way? Are there certain characteristics or pronunciations? Intonations that are attributed to specific communities within your world. You know, potato versus potato. You know, if if two worlds are colliding, in what ways do they differ, and in what ways would they kind of point out that the communication varies? Are there language barriers? Are there certain beings that don't speak? And if they don't speak, do their faces show their expressions? In what ways do those folks communicate? If there are multiple worlds and countries, how do those styles differ when it comes to communication? Do they like communicating with? each other is there something about the way that those backgrounds and communities uh, come up that influences how they communicate with each other as well? And then when in doubt take it to TV land. So first of course I have to go to something that's super mainstream. Um, let's let's talk friends you know Monica versus Phoebe. Monica is who I remember to be obsessed with cleaning. she was an amazing cook so she had a really strong food knowledge. She wasn't great with the stock market. If if you remember that episode, bonus points to you. Um, But, you know, she was also known to be very loud. She was small, but she was strong. She was extremely competitive and she was also kind of uptight. And so that kind of bled into the decisions that she made. It bled into how she spoke to people. It bled into the way that she reacted. You know, a lot of times if she was going to react, she was going to be the loudest one in the room. And so you could expect that from her character. Whereas Phoebe is the kind of eclectic, bohemian-vibe chick. She was flighty. She uh, admitted herself that she was a bit of a flake. Sometimes she had odd pronunciations, like Nestle-Toolhauser for nestle Tollhouse, right? Um, she was go with the flow. She would make smart arguments when she was provoked, but she was very chill. And so a lot of times where Monica would freak out Phoebe was like, what's the problem? I'm going to sit here and eat my hair. Like she didn't really care as much about the things that I think other people might get anxiety from. Instead, she was just kind of like, well, we'll figure this out. No big deal. Um, And so like in what ways can you create expectations for your readers? So let's take it sci-fi. Let's go Star Trek, Next Generation, Word versus Data I just chose this one because, you know, I grew up watching this with my dad. So that's the nod. I'm sorry for all of you that are Star Wars fans, you know, where Worf is seen as, you know, aggressive. He's sometimes temperamental. He's sometimes gentle. He's protective. He's loyal. He rarely laughs. And he's got that great deadpan expression. Data is known to be that over analytical, incessantly curious kind of hesitant to come around people with emotions, but also kind of sensitive in a way, which is kind of interesting, but also very self-aware. In what ways can you expect your characters to manage whatever conflicts they're coming up against? In what ways can the readers expect that your characters are going to continue if certain pressure points keep going? Um, And that's the way that you can really think about distinguishing your your characters through dialogue and making sure that you have really, really strong dialogue through the page that is representative of your characters and also creates expectations for your readers. And so in doing that, um, consider the telltale signs that readers can run with. Who's quick to point out flaws? Which of your characters is protective and nurturing? Who can they expect will always be starting some mess? Which of your characters is extremely risk averse? Who can you always count on and who is always late to the party? Why does that matter? It's because it's what is in their background and their decision making that makes these things obvious. And so as you're going, you know, like you're creating characters that your readers are going to either love, hate, or feel ambivalent about, but you want them to feel something. And they do that based on the complexities that you build around them and the ways in which they communicate. And so that's it.
1: I love that so much. Oh my gosh. Such wonderful examples for showing what you mean. I thought that was a beautiful way of demonstrating exactly what you meant. Thank you.
5: Thank you. Oh, and I love the the data and wharf love that I'm getting in the comments. Thank yeah. you guys.
0: <laughs> and I think this is such an interesting example. And I started taking notes and I was like, oh, I haven't thought of that question in a long time, you know, and I was like writing it down, but how Just like a tiny little seven minutes can really just kind of like activate us as writers and give us just a place that we can start some revision process. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Yeah. To me, like, um, that's always one of the things Mm. that, you know, as I'm looking at things from my clients and even Mm. from, from queries, you know, I'm looking to see, you know how do these characters communicate and in what ways can we enrich this to make it even more dynamic and i think that you know as long as we're really thinking about all of the complexities behind these characters um you know like not everybody is a plotter but you still have to decide well for this particular character what is their de- decision making like and how does that play into their personality um and so all of that i think ends up mattering in the long run yeah
0: and i i think you know i, I always when it was when i feel like i've watched too much television i'm like this is all- obvious research <laughs> because I think watching how care how actors move on a screen, l- looking at that nonverbal um communication, all of it, it's it can be so helpful to us as writers.
5: Yes, truly, truly. Mm-hmm.
1: And and for those tuning along at home, you mentioned in the chat, you're you're looking for which age groups?
5: I uh, cover middle grade, I cover YA, and I cover adult. So I've got everything covered. (laughs) (laughs) Let's grab a
1: few questions. Yeah, one of our
0: final questions of today. Sure.
1: Yeah. Are there any trends in the sci-fi genre at the moment we should be aware of?
5: That's a great question. Um, You know, in terms of the editors that I've been speaking to lately... I think that they're really just wanting to see something fresh um something that feels like either if if it is a retelling of some sort or if it is pulling from something that we're familiar with, it has to have a fresh take to it. If there is you know, something that we haven't seen before, I think that you know, like there are definitely some editors that are looking to try to to sell something new um, and so definitely we're we're kind of at this weird, place right now where things are moving very very slowly but I think it's because everyone agents and editors included are being a little bit more selective because we're trying to figure out on the agent side we're trying to figure out what it is editors are are gravitating toward and it's kind of this moving target and so um in in doing that you know I think I I'm always interested to see everything and that's why my manuscript wish list is is Fairly broad, but it's because I, I I don't know. I love it until I just see it, and so I think you know. I think editors and agents are kind of in that same boat where it's like we just have to see it to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in that way, like. I think, you know, on the sci-fi side, just go for it. If it's something that's resonating with you and it's the story you want to tell, you should tell it.
1: I love someone saying um, D&D can be a great way to understand a character. I think that's a neat.
5: That's so true. Mm-hmm. I love d and
0: I think there is some, like, author dice as well that you could roll if Ooh. you're stuck. I think I saw that somewhere. I think this is, like, a really great place to kind of end because it's it's kind of that question of when. Yes. And so it's, do you think a manuscript should be polished to the point of being pub ready or is, it, is there room for development? So kind of the when to know, when to pull the trigger and, yeah. um, you know, like how good does it need to be? And then...
5: I think that's a great question. I do think that, you know, um, writers do need to go through some rounds of revision um, with beta readers, with critique mm-hmm. partners because it only helps your manuscript to be stronger. What you think might be polished may still need some development once it comes to us anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it's a good idea to have it to be as polished as as it can be. That being said, it doesn't mean that agents aren't going to be willing to have some editorial rounds with you to make sure that it's the best that it can be before it goes on sub.
1: Oh my goodness. Well, I am just so grateful to our panel. While we have you, do you all just have like one little wrap up piece of Mm advice advice to like give our writers out there or a moment of hope a reason to not be scared all of you are awesome obviously it shows that you know Mm -hmm. they're not just sending query letters to robots or anything like that (laughs) um they're sending them to real people who really care so i think just that is really helpful and good but yeah if you if you have any thoughts If anyone wants to jump in. I mean, I will say that hopefully I will be open to general
4: queries in the near future. Uh, I am still open to BIPOC queries right now. But, you know, my kind of what Taj has said, like, we don't know what we want until sometimes we see it. And I've been surprised by what I've fallen in love with. So I want to say when you're in doubt of whether or not you should submit a query to someone, as long as they're
5: open to queries, I say just do it because you'll never know. I would say don't be afraid to, you know, to trust your gut and your instincts when it comes to coming up with, you know, a fresh take. Um, I'm, I'm an agent, but I'm also an author. Um, and so I, I actually have a sci-fi rom-com anthology coming out next month. And so, it, you know, like it wouldn't have been something that I would have immediately thought to do, but it was just on my mind to do it. And I really wanted to see it out in the world. And so we went for it and proposed it and it, now it's a thing. And so it's it's really about, you know, taking the chances mm-hmm. and and, go, and trusting yourself enough to know, like, if it's a story you want to see, maybe there are others too. And and so it's worth it to try
3: that's all super great advice um I think you know we focused a lot in this panel on fresh takes but I think that when it comes down to it feeling that emotional connection with your main characters from the outset is always going to draw us in and so I would really focus on like your first 50 pages, and and describing what your characters are feeling, and and getting deep inside them, deep inside their heads, and immersing us with them in their world, um, so that we feel just like automatically drawn in, um, and like we really understand them and care about them.
0: Mm, so I such love a that. great panel. Thank you all. It was terrific. There is so
1: much love for you in the chat. Thank I you hope so you much. will I hope mm-hmm. you will look at that, see how appreciated you are, how much it means to all the writers here. It means so much to us. Again, it's so important to us that we show that agents are real people, and you've done such a beautiful job of exemplifying that. So thank you so much, friends. Thank you, everyone, for being here, and have a good rest of your day.
0: Great. Bye now. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your
1: page for First Pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just
0: love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, Just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.